Welcome to a voyage of discovery and awareness of the richness, the diversity, and the often surprising nature of animation. <laughs> Our journey begins as dramatic and sudden changes are sweeping over the land. The approaching storm may seem violent and destructive to us, but to animation, it's a new beginning in the cycle of life. That's not actually a bad start for, because <laughs> um, this is, uh, I mean, They've, it's been said that Princess and the Frog is the start of the revival. It's the Disney revival. That's okay. I think that's what it's called. That tracks. But, I thought the land would be the appropriate one to open this with since the focal point of this movie involves a magical flower. That, oh! That is, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, this one, though, I think this one nailed, basically sealed Disney's fate as, okay, we're on to a new journey. And also, this happens to be the 50th in, wow. the, in Disney animation. They yeah. made it that far. Yeah. And I guess it's not that surprising because it's Disney. And let's not forget, this is also 50, movie, 50 episodes, technically. We've done about 50 episodes. That's right. This is our 50th episode of The Proper Podcast. Yes. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Tangled. We're going to talk about Tangled today. I am David King. I'm Kayla King. Joining us today is our good friend and returning guest, Randy Garrett. Hello. Third time. Third I know. Hey, third time's the charm. Not, not that you weren't, not that you didn't charm us when you were here before, Aww. which is why you're Aww. back. <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank you. You're more than welcome. So, <laughs> um, I remember like, uh, I gave you all these options of uh, films to choose from, and you get, you chose like five, and I'm like, okay, you got to narrow it down. And you're like, <laughs> okay, I'll do Tangle. <laughs> was Oliver and Company before this? Yes, you joined mm-hmm. us for Oliver and Company. That was a great episode. That was a fun one. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, Tangled has an interesting history. We're going to start with the the proper history as usual. Yeah. It's weird because this came out in 2010, which was only 11 years ago. We're getting closer. It's creeping up, the present. uh, Old. (laughs) I know, I know. It's a point where, um, with these movies, where it's like, oh yeah, I remember absolutely seeing this film. And I was an adult when I saw this film. Uh, I was 20, or was it, how old was I? <laughs> I? This was 2010. So I just turned 21. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Anyway, <laughs> I'll get it actually into the history of it. God, I feel old. <laughs> Welcome to Feeling Old, the podcast. So continuing with the theme of this movie has to be someone's baby, right? <laughs> this movie is absolutely someone's baby. Which is, this one actually surprised me. I didn't expect it to be this person. Um, it's Glenn Keane mm. out of everyone. Yeah. Our old friend Glenn Keane. So Glenn Keane, for those who don't know, is basically a Disney legend. Like he was the animator for like a lot of the Disney princesses as well as Tarzan and the Beast and a lot like that. So he did a lot of, protagonist um and he started developing the idea of rapunzel while working on both tarzan and treasure planet in 1996 um he finally he actually got to go forward with it in 2001 um but at the time disney president michael eisner said we want to make it cg um keen wasn't too fond of the idea of cg um and he even after the fact after working on this he has stated the computer fights against anything organic and a sensuous kind of feel. Rhythm, expression, tilt, flexibility, 
all those things don't come naturally to it. Mm-hmm. And he has like, after the fact he has, after working on the film, he said, it just still doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> Cause he, he was trained by like the nine old men and right. And has always worked with hand-drawn animation. But the thing is though, Keen is someone who sees, sees it as a challenge and he's one to go after a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time when they're working on it, uh, guess what movie has come out and Disney's like, we got to be like this movie. Uh, we're, we're still, we're still living with Shrek. Yes, we we're are. We're still living in the shadow of Shrek. Mm-hmm. So the film was going to be called Rapunzel Unbraided. Oh no. And, oh no. Yeah. And it was going to be a, a Shrek-like version. Uh, mm, like I could, I could see maybe. Well, the last time they tried to do a Shrek-like version of something, it was Chicken Little. <laughs> that was and it was to be Shrek-like. Well, yeah. and then it was trying to be cynical. Yeah, the, and it was awful. If you haven't heard our Chicken Little episode, well, yeah. now you don't have to. Just know that we all think it's awful. At least me and Kayla do. So um, he actually said he he liked the film um, that was planned out. It was very witty. Uh, very it had a lot of snappy dialogue. Um, and actually, he liked the fact that Rapunzel was just going to be a comedic character. But um, again, as someone who was trained by the nine old men who designed like all these fairy tale movies, he said that he wanted it to be more sincere and genuine and decided to go back to the roots of the original fairy tale. So this film got delayed to summer of 2009 to work on the story. However, come January 2006... <laughs> There's a new change of hands. We got Ed Catmull and John Lasseter taking over. And uh, they wanted to have, they actually wanted Glenn Keane to keep this project going. They liked the idea. Mm-hmm. They thought it was a very good idea. And they said, you have something, keep going with it. Um, however, um, okay, so uh, because this is such a big project to take on, as most animation projects are, they were going to bring in a second director, uh, Dean Wellens. Um, this did not last long. It only lasts for a few years because, um, if you haven't noticed, Glenn Keane isn't the director. He was going to direct it, but he didn't. He stepped down because he had a heart attack. Oh, oh no. Yeah. So to take care of his health issues, he had to step down as director. Um, Dean Wellens also stepped down, but this was due to other time commitments. And Nathan Greno and Byron Howard took over. Last we saw Byron Howard, he had just taken over for uh, director of Bolt. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Greno was the uh, storyboard director. Hmm. But Keen still stayed on. Keen, this is still Keen's baby project. And he took over as executive producer and directing animator. Hmm. Now, the interesting part is, uh, of this is how I did not realize how close Rapunzel was to him. Because, so fun fact... <laughs> I did not know this until I read an interview with him because the interviewer is like, it seems like you have a family of animators. Like your dad was a famous cartoonist and all that. And I'm like, who's his dad? And I had to look it up. His dad is Bill Keen, who created family circus. Like I, I so, which is a, a famous comic, which I was just like, my jaw dropped. Like really? I, I, my, my, my jaw is dropped right now. Like, you can't <laughs> I see had it. no idea that. No, this, I didn't either. Like, wow. Yeah. So, with this one, his daughter uh, worked on the film, but um, 
so one of the things he admitted is like um similar to how his dad took from his family life to create these uh cartoons he took from his own family life to create some of these characters he said ariel was very much my wife and designing ariel was based on drawing on on drawing her and then uh his son's skateboarding was used for tarzan but with rapunzel he said right off the bat i started thinking about my daughter claire when she was a little kid, she always wanted to paint the walls and the ceiling. She was just explosive, constantly clashing with my wife, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so funny enough, uh, Clara Keene actually uh, did was hired as a visual de- development artist for this film. And funny enough, her work, like you see her artwork most prominent as the murals in that Rapunzel paints on her walls. <laughs> so similar to what Claire did as a kid. I love theirs. I know. (laughs) This is so endearing. Um, uh, But outside of that, the um, Tangled itself was actually modeled after the traditional look of um, the Rococo paintings. I mean, how many times, like, whenever I saw behind the scenes stuff, they're always referencing the swing uh, by, um, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Jean-Honaire Froganard, who is a French artist. Uh, But they wanted to, so Keen wanted to keep that like romantic lush feel. He wanted it to feel like a fairy tale, despite it being in CG. Yeah. He wanted it to feel hand-drawn, mm-hmm. even though it's in CG. Yeah. Um, the most difficult thing to animate was those that hair. <laughs> There's 140,000 individual hairs <laughs> that they had to animate. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just also bring up the music, because I the music's interesting, and I, I'll get into the, I'll get into my opinion of the music later on as we talk about it. Mm-hmm. So Alan Menken and Glenn Slater was were brought back, and uh, the idea they were trying to go for was a medieval flavor to '60s folk rock, um, similar to like Joni Mitchell and Cat Stevens, with the exception of one song, which is a, like when when you watch it, it's it's a completely a Broadway song, which is Mother Knows Best. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely <laughs> a Broadway song. So the film was released um, in November 24, 2010. This costs $260 million to make. That's ex- that's insane. Yeah, that's... Oh, my God. I think it was one of the most expensive films to be made. That they... Or that Disney's made? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did it do? Well... <laughs> <laughs> it brought it in $592 million. million. <laughs> that's more than half a billion dollars yeah that is insane um and it also had favorable reviews people praised the animation um described it as entertaining although weirdly enough uh whereas princess and the frog got like nominated was nominated for three academy awards this one was only nominated for one which was original song mm-hmm. uh i and at last i see the light yeah 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 uh, but it lost to We Belong Together from Toy Story 3. Do I remember that song? Absolutely no, not. No, not really. I, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's the general background history to this. I feel like it's going through that whole growing pains of... The movie went through the same growing pains that a lot of these movies have gone through, which is it started pre-Laster uh, and Catmull and uh they had and it was like a fight for a little bit and he and trying to figure out the story and then afterwards it got its footing Mm -hmm. so i feel like we're gonna see that 
quite a bit. We've we've kind of gone away from the days when, you know, there was a lot of, like, the stories are almost more pioneering in their own way, and now we're kind of settling into, you know, what works. Not to diminish from the history or the struggles that this movie went through in its production. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, for everything Glenn Keane said about the, the process of the animation itself um, on the computer, I think... I think this looks better than most of the Disney CG movies I've seen so far. Uh, definitely up to this point. And I'm not even sure, I'm, as I think about it, I might argue that this still looks better than some of the ones I've seen since then. But that's just my opinion. I think just because there's such a dedication to that that art and that feel. Um, but yeah, it, it, it has staying power. And I guess we'll get into why. But I mean, I agree. Uh, I was just yeah. talking about that earlier because after having seen the movie again, after a long period of time, uh, looking back on, I was thinking a lot, wow, it still holds up surprisingly well. You would have thought that it'd be a little more outdated looking, but I guess that can boil down to, it's got this sort of timeless style about it as a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to look outdated when it looks as smooth as it does, I guess. <laughs> It, it is crazy how smooth it is. Cause like, you know, again, he talked about having to wrangle the computer to make it look fluid and organic and natural. And to me, this looks more fluid and organic and natural than like, well, this is a far cry from chicken little's animation. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to still forget about that movie. You keep bringing it up. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll, I'll recover someday. Uh, what is your personal histories with this? Um, uh, Randy, as the guest of this podcast, do you want to go first or last or middle? Um, well, I can go first if you'd want. Sure. So I was in art school when this came out. And oh. I originally was going for animation before I decided to switch and change completely full on into illustration. So a lot of people were talking about this movie as the production was ramping up and as it's coming out. If anything, Disney came out that was in a theater, all the animation students would like pile in and go see it all together in like one big batch, you know, mm. like we all did it with Princess and the Frog, like a group of like 30 adults all going to see Princess and the Frog at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very similar with Tangled. Uh, so that was my first time experiencing it. I can't say I kept up with it as it was being made. I mostly just saw it for the end product. And I didn't do too much studying afterwards because I became really lost in the fantasy of the whole thing. I really <laughs> loved it. Uh, but then I went like five years without seeing it again. <laughs> but that's my origin story with Tangled. <laughs> <laughs> and um, out of curiosity, though, since you requested this one, what made you want to come back and uh, you know talk about it? I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, that simple as that. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um. I would say I, I, th- when, this is one of those situations where I didn't see the movie in theaters. When I realized Disney was going back to CG, I was kind of like, huh? Because I was still very much a 2D animation snob and uh, kind of still am. And uh, I still prefer it. And I didn't see it until I, I think some friends recommended I do. By that point, it was on you know DVD and everything. So I watched it. I don't remember where I saw it for the first time, but yeah, I just kind of fell into it. I was like, wow, this is so much better than I was expecting, like so much better. And uh, this is only the second time I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it since then, but it holds up just as well, if not better. Like I was really paying attention to the animation this time and looking at the details and really appreciating just how much went into this and just how 
the film looks, how everything moves it. It's uh, and, and how the story flows, how the, the humor works. I, I really, really enjoy this movie. As I mentioned, I was 21 when I saw this. So this is after, uh, my, after I worked at Walt Disney world. Um, so I was still on a Disney kick, but, uh, I remember seeing Tangled and being kind of meh about it or lukewarm about it. I think because the music wasn't, didn't grab me or like there was a lot of parts of the story that didn't grab me. And then, uh, interestingly enough, a, a year or two later, the creators of, uh, Tangled, or I think Byron Howard was one of them, as well as, uh, uh Nathan Brenham, actually came to, um, my school when I was, uh, at film school and they talked about Tangled and the behind the scenes of it. And I found the behind the scenes information a lot interesting. And I'm like, maybe this movie was better than I remember it. But then the, it never really came out to rewatch it. No one was ever like, oh, let's watch Tangled. But I would see clips of it all the time or like people like from memes and internet and stuff like that. So it'd been, I, I, I feel like I've seen it more than once, but I think I only had seen it once before this. And then uh, I rewatched it this time now. 11 years later and now more mature and not so not so picky and I think I realized there's something I I came to realize about it that I didn't realize when I was younger and it was how funny this film is (laughs) I did not realize I I don't remember laughing that much as much about it but I'm not gonna lie like when I was like 20 21 22 years old I was very like snobby when it came to films and i hate that about myself at that time it was i think because um i wanted i was trying to get into film school so i was like oh i need to be more particular and stuff like that which is it's that's ridiculous but yeah this film was a lot funnier than i remember it being like i was laughing out loud i'm like wow i did not realize how witty some of the the lines are and how the the humor hits or like the comedy parts they hit really well um like i i was surprised how many times i laughed out loud like during uh like when she's trying to get his like unconscious body <laughs> into the closet <laughs> and can't get it out or or like um uh or like some of the like i think there's a quickness to it like for example when he says oh i don't sing swords cuts to him singing and i'm like yes that's how you do humor. It's it's so beautifully paced, the comedy in this movie. Oh, yeah. This is a very well-paced film. I did not realize how well-paced this film was. Just choice. Absolutely choice. And we'll get, we will get to the bits. Yeah. And we'll I, talk about the bits. I think also the story is a lot more interesting than... Okay, so one of the problems with Princess and the Frog that I mentioned in our last episode was the fact that you kind of have a story that's very bland or the fairy tale itself is really bland there's not much conflict which is why they had to add a lot of layers to it where with rapunzel it is like a rapunzel at least has a lot more to it it's like there is a conflict there is a witch uh um there is a uh like oh no we have to escape because she's kept me here and we need to get out of here like there uh there actually is a Rapunzel is a much more interesting story than Princess and the Frog, or the the Frog Princesses in terms of fairy tales. Um, but I also like the fact they have a reason for her hair to be as long as it is. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in the in the in the story, it's just well, she's lived there for eighteen years. She's 
hasn't cut it, so she has no reason to cut it, so it's just grown out. In it, this case, it's supposed to be long because it is magical, because it is the power that is used to make this woman younger. It, like, the story is really tight. Yeah, I was going to say, um, right from the beginning, we get that bit with the hair uh, basically being the MacGuffin of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's the thing everybody needs. It's the thing that's that's important. Like, I, And I think the way that they set up that Rapunzel's hair is magical and has... Uh, you know, de-aging properties, but also like healing properties, as we learn later, is um, it's really good. And I think also is a nice little sort of jazz riff on the original story, which involved the, the the thing with the witch was because Rapunzel's father went into the garden to get something to give the sick mother. He stole, uh, I believe it's cabbage. Uh, Rapunzel, or, Hence her name being or lettuce. Uh, yeah, some, I, some yeah, something growing there. I think Rapunzel actually does mean lettuce in mm-hmm. German or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so them have so the king and queen have they they're a king and queen now because of course the main character needs to be a princess but um, now it's about healing with a magical plant so I think that's a good way to establish the story and work the characters into that into that position so without delving into it too much I appreciate the world building that happens right at the beginning well if we're gonna get right into it I guess speaking on the flower uh, I don't know if I miss this because. I've watched this and I, it might just be a thing like the flower itself. How did people hear about it? Is it explained? Not really. It just seemed like they just knew like, Hey, we got to find this magic flower, this one rare exotic flower that grew from a piece of sunlight. And that apparently some old crone is like singing about like, as far as we know, mother Gothel's the only one who knows about it. It's probably experimented a lot with a glowing flower. I wonder how that came about happening. (laughs) <laughs> I, I assume it's a legend just like the crone heard about it and then she's been using it and people will pass by and be like are like what's that lady doing oh look she became younger hey did you hear her? there's some lady back there <laughs> and it just became a water cooler story that <laughs> just got to the king like well i've heard there's a there's a flower out there that grants you like grants has healing powers we've heard that people have seen this old woman <laughs> <laughs> You know, the the impression I'm under is that Mother Gothel is older than that kingdom. I mean, she was old when it started. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, if like, she's been using the flower since before then, there's no telling how long. Well, that was the impression I got, is that she was using the flower, because then they, they established her before they established, and then a kingdom grew, and then this stuff happened. I think, think she's just been staving off death for, for all we know, centuries, depending on how long this kingdom, this island, uh, this island kingdom's been there. Mm-hmm. Which might put like a little uh, perspective on why she ends up doing what she does to Rapunzel if you're technically immortal and you eventually just start living on like vampire time logic. <laughs> <laughs> she is a vampire, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. No, she's a legit vampire. Come to think about it. I mean, she is basically thriving off this like healing power to stay young. Like, well, no, can't. I'm thinking, I'm saying like metaphorical vampire because she's basically, she, She's, for lack of a better word, uh, sucking the life out of well, Rapunzel. I'm not, not, I'm not saying physically, I'm saying metaphorically. She takes this girl, locks her in a tower, doesn't let her do anything, and is just a tor- horrible terror. She's an emotional vampire is what she is. Yeah. So she's a Col- uh, Colin, Colin Robinson. Robinson. Well, I wouldn't say that. More like, I don't know. Hmm. Um, I think uh, it is interesting because it's like, 
like she's if she has lived off this for like hundreds of years or whatever thousands we're not even sure and now it's like well uh this girl's now my new flower and which is which is kind of sad because she often calls her um my flower (laughs) (laughs) there is okay um i mean since we're here right now i just want to say um one of the things I really like about Mother Gothel as a character, she does, I don't think she necessarily stands in the upper echelons of like great Disney villains, even though she's definitely coded to be like them. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about Mother Gothel is she has no real magical powers. She doesn't showcase anything other than knowing about the flower. Her power comes from being a manipulative character. She just like messes with people and is able to just like... Like, and not just Rapunzel, she's able to pull, pull one over on like all these different people. And um, I like that that's kind of what makes her dangerous as opposed to her having any kind of, you know, spell casting or anything like the other traditional sort of crones or hags or witches or whatever that have come before in these, in Disney stories um, or in Disney's adaptations of stories. I like that the closest we have to her using sorcery is just the de-aging thing. And anyone can use that potentially mm-hmm. as long as they know the song. And, uh, or as long as Rapunzel sings the song specifically. So, I mean, think about it. Her strongest superpower is narcissism and <laughs> mm-hmm. just being able to, and I imagine she's cultivated these abilities over time also from raising the kid, uh, <laughs> uh, Rapunzel. I mean, you know, yeah, like beating her down in that way to make her believe the things that she does because it's, she's quick to turn it on when something just begins to start breaking the facade a little bit, you know? So it's, it's immediate. Oh, yeah. I think she is easily, like, other villains you could say are narcissistic, like the evil queen. Mm-hmm. No, this this character is the most narcissistic. She literally has the definite, like, all the definitions of narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, I remember uh, hearing this from the directors during um, that... Uh, that presentation I saw in college, uh, they said, we actually spoke to many, many women about their relationships with their mothers and use this, use what they told us as like inspiration for like writing dialogue. And actually a lot of the stuff that they told us we used for mother Gothels. That's wow. Yeah. My wife felt so real. I will say though, the one issue I do have is she says the right things or the things that like, uh, a narcissistic person would say, but there were moments where I feel like it didn't feel right. Like, for example, she she makes a joke about uh, Rapunzel's appearance. Rapunzel doesn't even react or anything, and she's like, "Oh, just kidding." Why would? It's like uh, you're just so sensitive. I'm like, okay. Usually, um, someone mothers like that will usually only do that if they're if a per, like their daughter gives like a look or says something it's usually a quick reaction they won't think to do that immediately i felt like that was a little off-putting mm-hmm. it's like a form of constant control if she does it ahead of time before rapunzel has time to think about it maybe or begin to have those kinds of feelings of pushing back it's just preemptive pushing down good point and it could be that maybe rapunzel in the past has get made faces to the that those type of comments or has said something, but it's now, Oh, I'm going to say this ahead of time. So she doesn't have any time to retaliate. Mm-hmm. I imagine that she would have Rapunzel is a 17 year old going on 18 year old in this movie. She had her whole adolescence. I'm sure that there was pushback many times being locked mm-hmm. in the tower. Mm-hmm. 
Oh no, absolutely. Especially going through your teenage years like that. <laughs> oh man, that I can't even imagine what it's like to be stuck in a tower um, like that for oh man, seventeen years. Seventeen years. Like almost, she, she almost was stolen eight, as an infant. That's true. Right. Almost, almost eighteen years. Yeah, almost eighteen years. Like yeah. we don't know how old she was when she was stolen. I do appreciate the. I do like the notion that she was born already born with this mop of tremendous. Uh, Hair. tremendously huge blonde hair when she was you know she she did she like pop out that way like who knows either way <laughs> i like that they different like this is a, a, a beat i appreciated because like her hair is completely different from her parents who are both brunettes uh, I, I wrote this down in my notes that if i was the king i might look at this golden haired child and be a little sus for like a second <laughs> this is like a this is like a this is like a Joffrey Baratheon situation almost. She looks just like a mom. What are these other traits? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she looks exactly like her mother. Where's where did the <laughs> blonde hair come from? She doesn't look a lot like her father. Pretty suspicious. <laughs> um, I feel bad. Well, we'll we'll get to the king and queen a little later, and I'll harken back to that. But yeah, we we meet Rapunzel at, you know, the day before her like in the morning of the, the the morning of the day before her 18th birthday. Yes. And we get the first song of the movie, which is not, it's okay. It's not super memorable. I think the the lyrics are bland. It, she's, it's just describing her day and it gets, and I get the idea behind it. I really do understand the purpose behind it, but I don't feel like it works too well as a song. There's, I feel like there's gotta be a, point where it becomes more i want like this is clearly her i want song but it should be more i want rather than let me describe all the stuff that i do all throughout my day to fill the time because of how bored i am how many times how how's she gonna sing an i want song when she believes that she has everything she needs that's true but that's that's what it's supposed to be is the because it's the song is meant to be like she's trying to fool herself but then there is that part of lyrics like She's hoping there's something more. She's like, she thinks there's something more. And I feel like there needs to be a little bit, I guess a little bit more lyrics that involve that. Hmm, maybe there is something more. I mean, even in the uh, Part of Your World song, she talks about all the stuff she has, but then she t- that's when she gets into, you know, I do want more. I want to do this. I want to do that. It could be like that. She's like, I do dream of seeing what the lights are. I kind, I do, there's a part of me that does want to see what's out there. Like that could have been part of the lyrics. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that I mean I think again this is where we start seeing the animation real fluid, and I love. I actually the thing is even if the song is not as you know maybe efficient as we'd like it to be, it does help establish her character. We get to see her kind of move around the tower. We get to see her do her thing. We start to get a sense of her personality. And I would this be a good time to talk about Rapunzel in general? How do we feel about her? Or do we just kind of want to keep talking about her as the movie goes? Because like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a fun character to follow. And I like that. I think she really starts to shine, though, once um, uh, Flynn gets to the tower. Yeah, I like her character a lot. Like she like she does have like the complications of a real character. But I also there's a little bit of realism to her. And the, he, I, go with me on this. Okay. Um, yes, she, of course, she's like the blonde haired, uh, petite princess that we're used to, but she also, there's some imperfections, like she has freckles and her teeth are, uh, it looks like she has an overbite. Um, her teeth are a little awkward and that's actually kind of nice to see. 
because like you think oh is that just because of the animation no like the other people are their teeth are fine it just i think they actually did make it so she had a bit of an overbite she has like big front teeth and there's actually a little noticeable gap between the teeth yeah that's a really nice little detail i'm trying to think if there's anything i can add here uh, (laughs) this is a nice touch um but i do like that she is um uh i like the fact that uh she does have a she isn't she's an extrovert despite being stuck at home um she's uh, an introvert she's an extrovert waiting to become a, a proper extrovert yeah she hasn't really had the opportunity <laughs> she hasn't really had the opportunity to be an extrovert mm-hmm. how many times mm-hmm. do you think she's read those three books <laughs> mom i need more books <laughs> enough for them to be part of her everyday routine oh my goodness um i also want to talk about pascal though because oh. I think this is another thing this movie does well. Because, you know, it's a Disney movie. You need adorable animals. Especially a princess movie, you need adorable animal sidekicks, right? Right. This, this one doesn't talk, and it's better for it. So yeah, the- Pascal's very expressive. And yeah. it's very nice to show. Although I do believe that Pascal gets outshined by a particular animal further in the movie. Let's get this into it. This is true. Let's talk about Max- uh, Maximus. Because... Oh my goodness, he's a great animal character. There's yeah, this movie. I, I I will say, this movie has I think does the right thing. And I want to I was going to cite Maximus as this part as well. I like that the animal characters in it don't talk, but are the most expressive characters practically as they a result. Are. And it's so much fun to watch both of them, in particular Maximus. Oh my goodness! So I, I, go ahead. I was just wondering, like, who is the person? when they were drafting this up that was like we should add a horse but make it dog <laughs> <laughs> uh actually a horse originally it was supposed to be a dog but then they changed it to a horse and they're better off for it well part of the humor is a horse that acts like a bloodhound mm-hmm. <laughs> um and, and uh so again i i'm calling back to like uh that talk that they had they said not gonna lie, we took a lot of inspiration from uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character from The Fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically super cop, and I'm like, this is great. Oh my gosh, <laughs> let's make him, let's have super cop, but make him a horse. Um, I think also, uh, and one of the things they actually were trying to avoid was the silly sidekick characters, but they realized for Rapunzel, they do need something, someone for her to talk to. Yeah. Because she is by herself in um, the tower. And in that sort of situation, when someone's lonely like that, you, you kind of need someone to be like, she can't just talk to herself. She would be, it would be cabin fever if Pascal wasn't around. Yes. Do you think Pascal came to her? Or do you think like, like, he was a gift from Mother Gothel one time or something. We don't know quite how they got together and it doesn't matter, but I'm just, just for speculation's sake. I'm under the impression that she caught him and keeps him because throughout the film, she's had a tendency to hide Pascal when Gothel's in the tower. Oh, that's true, huh? Oh yeah, and then Pascal will actually blend in whenever he sees Mother Gothel with whatever his surroundings are. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Good point. Dang, this movie is good. <laughs> it is very, it is very cleverly. It's, I do like that they picked a chameleon too. That's an interesting choice. I also like the fact that the male protagonist is a thief. Yeah, we should talk about the other strong point of this movie, which is Flynn Rider. 
Oh yeah. We, uh, by the way, the voice actors for this, we have Mandy Moore, nineties uh, pop star, Mandy Moore doing the voice of Rapunzel, which I think she does a good job with. And, she nails it. I think she does a great job. Uh, and then Zachary Levi is the voice of Flynn Rider. I, <laughs> so Dave and I have been playing Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> or we just finished Fallout New Vegas. And funny enough, um, the Stabbing Tomb Brothers or the two uh, redhead guys that he works with, uh, Flynn Rider works with. Yeah. They're both voiced by Ron Perlman. <laughs> I'm pretty sure only one of them talks, though. No, they Isn't both they? do. Oh, they both do. Okay. But they're both... They're both voiced by Ron Perlman. Okay. Which is hilarious because we just played Fallout New Vegas where we got to hear both Ron Perlman as the narrator and Zachary Levi as uh, uh, Arcane? Arcade. Arcade, that's right. Arcade Ganon, which is, this came out the same year, by the way. I know! (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So we get to hear him both at, we get to hear Ron Perlman say War Never Changes, but also be the Stabbington Brothers. We get to hear uh Zachary Levi be both a uh you know an ex enclave uh follower of the apocalypse and a notorious thief <laughs> thinking of thieving and how Flynn's introduction to the story if you don't count the narration mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the film which by the way slight critique i don't think the movie needed Flynn narrating the goings on of what was happening at the beginning of the movie but that's me I'm, I'm kind of with you there. It wasn't necessary. I have a theory why. And uh, this actually is a proven thing. So <laughs> because of Princess and the Frog and because it wasn't the success that Disney wanted, they realized we need to gear, we have to appeal to boys. Uh. So, yeah. So and there's a bit of controversy <clears throat> with this. So it's the fact that they went from Rapunzel slash Rapunzel unbraided to calling it Tangled. Um, and this is pr- true that they did do this because so, they didn't want princess or any princess names in there. And not only that, if you notice that a lot of the marketing does have a slight focus on Flynn Rider as well, I think they were trying to promote like, no, no, it's not a Disney princess movie. It's clearly like with Flynn Rider, he's totally the main character. Boys, come see this, please. Ugh. <laughs> Which I think lessens Rapunzel as a character somewhat, because looking back on it, I think about Flynn's involvement, because at first, when I first saw the film, I thought Flynn was a little like, what's the right word for this? Not extraneous. Because he's needed, but I think he's in the movie a little too much. (laughs) So much so that I don't think the way Rapunzel is characterized in this movie, it being a movie basically about her, her plight, she couldn't carry the film if she was alone. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I I think it should be. I I think though, I like when Disney makes the effort to actually give the in these kind of stories they give the male counterpart to the character or the the you know the 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 thing that's inevitably the prince or the love interest an actual character and character arc. Like we got that in Princess and the Frog, whereas when you think about it, Disney princes were just kind of there. Heck, even in Little Mermaid, there's not a lot to Eric, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the prince, the so when there's a you know an equally strong personality to be kind of the the counterpoint, it's like a nice deviation from what came before. So I think having Flynn and Rapunzel play off each other, those are moments I really enjoy in the movie. So I don't know if I I think it's 
I still think it's a step in the right direction to continue to have that kind of balance between the characters. That's my opinion, though. So I think I think Flynn's um, role in the movie and how much he's in it is fine. Um, but I also think they do a good job at, in this one in particular, I feel like they do a good job of making them benefit from each other, for lack of a better word. Making the circumstances work out in such a way that they have they have circumstances that require them to be a team and to make a bond over the course of the movie. So, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel forced in my opinion. Um, what was I getting around about? Yes. Flynn's introduction. I'm sorry. I derailed it. No, okay. you're right. It's okay. <laughs> um, him being a thief, I think to get a good sense of what Flynn's like as a character immediately is, of course they show him in the middle of a heist. He's got his two friends, but it's being done what the day before the coronation for this lost princess in broad daylight and i think it's a fun way to show off the character like they aren't really trying to hide they just run through the city run out into the woods did they have an exit plan i'm not sure but i think (laughs) it tells us a lot about flynn immediately Mm -hmm. so it's like really good shorthand if that makes sense yeah yeah he is very um cocky yeah, that's a better word. He is cocky. Cause, and I know this because he, let's not forget, he gets lower down to grab the crown. The guy sneezes. There's no reason, reason for him to say allergies, huh? He could have said, an, uh, he, as a thief, he doesn't have to say anything. He goes back up, but he had to because it's all about showing off and being like, Hey, l- l- um, look how witty I am. I got a one, I need a one liner this. Yeah, I mean, as we've established uh, later, he's basing his whole personality off like a pulp hero, mm-hmm. yeah. like a swashbuckling character. He wants to be that. He wants to. He wants to have the one-liners. He wants to be confident. He wants to be cocky. He wants to be all of these things. So he's completely styling himself off of this this fictional character he admired when he was a kid. Yeah, it's like it's like Randy. You said like um, he's doing this in broad daylight <laughs> the day before the coronation, which is exactly what what a not a smart character would do, but what a noble thief in fiction would do. I mean, it's it may seem very tropey for this, but like for a, a not necessarily a gentleman thief because he's not that. No, but for a thief that is trying to build a name, has renown, he's obviously got a rep. Yeah, theatricality is like your number one priority when you're performing a heist. You know. Mm-hmm. he wants to be seen running away with it how why would else would you do it in broad daylight well he and it's further shown when they're in the woods getting away and he sees the wanted poster and he's just like oh, they never get the nose right and he's like see yeah he likes this reputation he likes mm-hmm. he likes what he's built for himself um i think uh, it's endearing yeah uh and it is a good i guess um foil for rapunzel who is uh someone who is sheltered someone who is starting to know the world around her and trying to figure it out little by little where he's just like uh he's someone who is like nah i'm i'm it's interesting as a thief he should like know the like place like the back of his hand and be very be more not worldly there's a better word for it street smart streetwise streetwise but he's clearly like in uh show off look at me i am the grand thief flynn rider <laughs> almost like you said yeah like a like a fictional character is that why he's caught off guard so easily when he gets into the tower yeah after he has that uh showdown with maximus <laughs> maximus the true <laughs> the true um, <laughs> uh challenge <in> this movie. <laughs> um 
I worry about uh, Flynn's health because he must have a semi-serious, considering how often he was, he's knocked unconscious in this movie. Oh I'm worried God. about his, uh, I'm worried about his brain. <laughs> I do like the fact that a frying pan is used as a weapon in this movie. Um, one of the reasons is one of my favorite short stories growing up was called The Frying Pan of Doom. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a short story written by uh, Diana C. Reed, who wrote the Dueling with Dragons series. Um, anyway, uh, or dealing, dealing with Dragons, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like her writing. Uh, good child, yeah. children's writing. Anyway, but the idea is the frying pan, a frying pan was a weapon. So to actually see someone use that. And even when I read the story, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, why don't more people use a frying pan as a, as a weapon? And I read this when I was like 14, 13 years old. So mm-hmm. as I will say, as like 21-year-old Gala watching this, I'm like, oh, finally, someone actually decided to make a frying pan a weapon. Technically, Princess Peach did it first, though. Mm. <laughs> my, my roommate is a chef. And he sat and watched this with me the first time I watched it. And uh, I I own like two cast iron skillets. Uh, and I just was thinking, how strong does Rapunzel have to be? Because do you know how heavy cast iron is? Especially for the size of it. And then you have Flynn using it to battle people with swords. And I'm thinking, there's no way. But it would be <laughs> so durable. Like there, there'd be no crack in that thing. You'd have to... It'd be so insanely powerful. One smack from a cast iron pan, knock your teeth out. Well, Flynn's teeth are pretty good, so they somehow managed <laughs> to stay in his head. I'm surprised his brain was able to stay in his head, though. That man is out cold. I I will say, because actually Dave and I had talked about us, like, how strong is Rapunzel? Like, she can, like, whip her hair, and she's carrying that stuff, and, like, She's using it to lift her hair to lift herself up and like she She's had eighteen years to build up her her strength with that hair though. She has to lug that thing everywhere yeah. she goes. I think she has more upper body strength than like her mother gives her credit for. She mm-hmm. is also she is also imbued with a magic flower too, but I mean I I think it's I think it I would owe it more to her just her years of having to lug her hair around and do manual stuff around the tower to keep herself entertained. I mean, it's a good way of showing that she's dexterous from the way she whips her hair around like she's Indiana Jones or something <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah. And the lifting of people like Gothel or um, Flynn herself. It's just, it's unreasonable how, like, her core must be, like, stacked, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, how much do you want to bet, even though she's, like, you know, thin, like, if you saw her abs, it would be, like, a six-pack, like, seriously. Oh, absolutely. Be rippling. She's just, she's, she's ripped under that dress. You just know it. <laughs> like thin frame, but like all of the mass that's there is muscle. Jeez. I love this. Type of- <laughs> swole. I mean, it's gotta be true. She's, <laughs> she's swole on the inside, right? <laughs> swole Rapunzel. <laughs> Rapunzel. Rip. Oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, my uh, hat's off to you, sir. By the way, I think this is the point where we get into like Mother Knows Best, which is a Mother Knows Best. It's a good song, don't get me wrong. I actually do like it. It feels so out of place from the other songs because as Alan Menken had said, like, no, I took his inspiration from like folk songs. And the others do sound more folksy. This is totally a Broadway song. Like, I'm like, yeah. yep, I would totally. It breaks s- convention, racism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, if I saw this, I'd be like, yeah, this should be on a Broadway stage. Like, 
Yeah, that is exactly a song. But that- does that not match the sort of show-stealing vibe that Mother Gothel's going for? No, it's because it's voiced by Donna Murphy, who is a Broadway actress. No, I know that, but I'm just saying, even though it's out of place, like, well, this is the kind of thing she'd do. She'd have a spotlight-stealing number. And I think it's the only number in the movie that is musical in nature that you could argue is kind of undiegetic. Yeah. Actually, every other every other thing in the movie, it seems to be grounded in reality. Even the I have a dream song with all the guys in the tavern. It's in that location. You see everything that's happening with Gothel's song. It's like you have to believe that she at a drop of the hat has a spotlight that shines in on this room, can immediately light candles, has set placing, like she's practiced and rehearsed this. So it doesn't seem like it takes place in the, it takes place in the world of the musical versus everything else in the movie where the songs are happening there in universe. Mm-hmm. Well, is Rapunzel, because is Rapunzel singing her song? Like, is she actually mouthing the words when she sings in the beginning? Yes. Not all of them. Yeah, not, not all. the whole time. But then again, that's also true of At Last I See the Light. Yeah. The only time you actually see them singing it is like near the end mm-hmm. when they're um, sending their own lanterns up. And we'll get to that. She does sing when she runs out and when she's like, and she actually is mouthing the words, I'm running and jumping like after she leaves the tower. Yeah, that's right. But that's very musical too. That actually does, despite being coming from the folksy song, that feels pretty Broadway as well. Yeah, but... In the same vein, it doesn't feel undiegetic like Mother Gothel's does. I think you're on you're onto something, Randy. In the like the reprise of the song, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, of Mother Knows Best. It it's kind of the same, but not completely. Like it's more grounded in reality. But I think that more has to do with the fact that Gothel's really trying to sell this idea to Rapunzel. There's no theatric. There isn't as much theatricality to it. It's very like serious, but everything's the same. You know. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a good rip. It's a good reprise. It is a good reprise. It's a very good reprise. It sounds way more sinister there too, because now we're suddenly going into minor key. She sounds a little angrier. It's it works. Uh, I was gonna say going back to Flynn in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> Flynn stuck in the closet. We're also talking about the hair too, and how she uses it to like tie people up, and besides almost killing the poor man with a frying pan. Um, we get the part where they negotiate the deal. Like she wants to go see the lanterns. This is her, this is her first act of rebellion. Yeah. By the way. So that's good for her. Definitely fits the whole teenage rebellion vibe. Cause uh, she sees these lights in the skies every year on her birthday. And they're like, you, you mean the lanterns? Oh yeah. She wants to see these lanterns. She wants to see them up close and see what they mean. Why are they appearing on her birthday? Are, are she thinks they're meant for her. Slapstick comedy here is so choice. Oh my god! Like during this whole, but it's a great thing. It's like you will never know where I find it. It's in that pot, isn't it? Boom! Blackout! (laughs) Ah! Now you'll. (laughs) We'll never see where I hit it. You'll never ever find it. Tear this tower down brick by brick. (laughs) Such a good line. (laughs) And then, like they, she, he agrees to get her out of the tower. Um, or be her guide. She can get out of the tower whenever she wants. Oh no, but she, he agrees to guide her to where the lanterns are, but with every intention of eventually finding a way to subvert it initially. So, of course, yeah, this got, it's an odd couple kind of situation. And then we have, I love that after she has her big number, she runs the gamut of emotions. This is the best day ever. This is the worst day ever. And it's yes. so good. This oh. vignette scene where it's every emotion that she's going through. And and- it's good. It's good and sad at the same time, because this is where you can really see the abuse 
yeah. come full front, you know, as Rapunzel as a character, mm-hmm. where she's like conflicted about doing this very normal thing that she could have done a while ago, but her mom, air quotes, mom, has got her believing that it'll like it'll kill her more or less, and it actually might if you think about it literally. But um, <laughs> that's so true. Actually, <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you're right. It's just it's very sad but it's so comedically it's timed so well it's so funny i hate that it's funny i mean it it, it's kind of played i think it's kind of played for laughs but at the same time i agree i think it is it does show that this is hard for her and it it continues to reinforce that mother gothel is not a good person by any stretch of the imagination Mm -hmm. um now was this oh yeah this is where they go to the snuggly duck right (laughs) This is my favorite scene in the whole movie, I must say, the snuggly duckling scene. <laughs> like the thug character. Oh, snuggly duckling, that's right, yes! because it's a pun. Wait, what? Oh, like, you put oh! snut on front of ugly duckling. Oh my god. And when you think about it, all the people in there seem ugly, but underneath they have these beautiful dreams. Oh my god, I didn't think about that. <laughs> that didn't and this click. Is, this is like Rapunzel's version of singing to animals and having them do her bidding, isn't it? <laughs> things to these like ruffians <laughs> i i like that this is rapunzel gets this posse instead of a bunch of animals oh no this posse is so much better i actually i, think... I appreciate that they go to bat for her and flynn later too like hardcore. i can't say i understand why they do it but i i like it yeah um i will say uh this is also the like um and this is also my favorite song in the whole movie, the I've Got a Dream. This is this is the fun song. Yeah. This is the funny song. Uh, a lot of voice actors that I was shocked that I was like, wait, it's who now? Like, I, I recognize Brad Garrett. Like, mm-hmm. it, it sounds exactly like Brad Garrett, the, the, the guy with the hook. Um, Richard Keel is Vlad? Yep. Jaws himself. Ega? Ega. The giant from uh, uh, Big Fish? Yes. Yes. Um, and then... He doesn't have a ton of lines, but it's Richard Keel. It's still Richard Keel. Right? Yes. It's still Richard Keel. Um, and then, of course, it's Paul F. Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins is a fantastic uh, voice actor and uh, stand-up comic, for those of you who don't know. And he's the little old man Cupid guy. Yeah, Dave and I are fans of his stand-up as well as we're fans of this um, podcast called uh, The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which he was a main star of. Like, I, Also, we've met the guy. He's very nice. Um, very charming gentleman. Snappy dresser. Excellent yes. mustache. Great. He also has a gap between the teeth as well. Ah! <laughs> but um, very nice guy. So, it, like, seeing him, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. I didn't know. Well, back when we first watched it, I didn't, when I first watched it, I didn't, I obviously had no idea who he was. But then, you know, in retrospect, having heard his voice so many times, hearing that voice come out of that character, I'm like, there he is. There's Paul. No mm-hmm. mistaking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also Mr. Peanut Butter on... Um... Bojack Horseman? Yes. Bojack Horseman? Mm-hmm. So we're yeah we're <laughs> weirdly enough out of all the voice actors in this like we were most, movie we were most excited about Paul F. Tompkins. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor's in there too, but I don't um, want to talk. About let's not talk about Jeffrey Tambor. No, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, anyway, 
but yeah, the the song is cute. It's very fun. Uh, I love the. Th- it's very dark humor, which is totally my style. The the again the the snappy the the snappy dialogue and the slapstick visual comedy come off really well here. Mm-hmm. I love how it starts because they've got a minstrel on a ball and chain with an accordion <laughs> that almost gets killed by a flying axe. <laughs> um, I love the glass unicorns. Yes. I love the the raucous party and of the scene you mentioned with Flynn and the swords and he immediately launches into the mm-hmm. song about his dream. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. Mm-hmm. This is a very good. Um, and then uh, that's when Mac, like the King's guards come in with Maximus. Cause let's be honest. <laughs> Sniffing the floor. Bloodhound thing. Wasn't it like the car, like there was a point where the guards were like, Maximus, what is he doing? Shh. Uh, yeah, the guy wants. What does he do? And the guy, without even looking, just slaps him. Like the the captain of the guard slaps him and goes, "Shh, let him do his thing. <laughs> just watch." I love it. This movie is so smart. It is. Can we highlight a moment when they're sneaking through the uh, escape tunnel and you get like the first kind of proper flirty moment between them? Mm-hmm. I really dug that. I like that. Also, the flirty moment is done, interestingly enough, silently. Because, like, there's two things that they do that is clearly flirting things. So, like, for example, he gives a little smirk when she does something cute. And then she does what, this is actually a proven fact. Uh, She tucks her hair behind her ear. Girls will naturally fixate on their hair if they're attracted to someone and they're trying to flirt with them. Because in their mind, it's like, I need to look nice. It's a way to feel, it's just an unconscious idea too like okay I, I like this person I'm, i need to make myself look a little nicer or like try to pull my hair behind my ear so it looks nicer and rapunzel's adorable she is oh my god <laughs> there's some aspects to the whole like flynn rapunzel thing i can't say i'm a big big fan of but they do make a cute couple considering <laughs> yeah do you I, like, I don't know i'm they've only known each other for two days she's the, he's literally the first man she's ever met true and also, I had to look this up because this is a thing I was wondering. And, and Kayla, you can correct me because mm-hmm. the internet's the internet and all information is correct. Um, <laughs> Rapunzel is technically 17, even though it's a day, you know, until 18. And the only age that I could find for Flynn was like around 26. I, I, I think it is the internet being the internet. We don't know how old he is. It's never been clarified the age that he is. Um, he's clearly older than her, though. Yes, because but... that's immediately what I wanted to look this up to make sure that I wasn't, like, reading too far into it. I guess, yeah. It ultimately, it doesn't matter. She's legal as of the next day. And according to the end <laughs> of the movie, they don't even get together, like, properly until years in the future. So yeah, this is true. It doesn't matter. But it's just, like, for the time that we're watching them meet. Mm. Excuse me, just a tiny bit, just a teeniest bit. I I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, what was what's the line in front? They kept bringing up, "You can't marry a man you just met." And it's not like they get married right away or anything. As that's a big point that they make. Yeah, but it, it, it is still the first per- like the first person other than Mother Gothel she's interacted with, and also the first man. Yes, she's interacted with for the last eighteen years. So it's like it's very convenient for her that they happen to have chemistry i guess but still i I could see it 
the chemistry but it works i think it i think it's there i think it's there and that's the important part and i I don't i'm not saying it's not there it is there i'm just like you know i have to look at it critically no i i'm with you i think the issue with this is he is a thief who has been known to lie and manipulate and then and she is someone who is innocent and this is the first person she's ever met or first man she's ever met and He's also someone who is also like, I mean, there's that whole joke of here comes the smolder and it does has no effect on her. Uh, he's oh, like the smolder. I did not yeah. think it was this funny this time around. I didn't either. No, me neither. Um, there's a lot of jokes that were a lot funnier, though, I will say. But I, it is this is someone who also clearly uses flirtation to get what he wants. Oh. So it, I you know what's weird. What? Mother couple does that, too. Oh, she totally uh, did. Yeah, so he with the with the Stavington brothers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he does use manipulation to get everyone what he wants, and I think that's the issue behind this, or a little issue behind this when they start to flirt is he's still in manipulative mode. He's still like, uh, I want to find a way to like, like, because recently he's he the reason he took her to the Snuggly Duckling is to convince her, hey, maybe you should go home and just give me my treasure and so I can be on my he's way. Gonna, yeah, he's gonna try and scare her back into the tower. Yeah, so he, like, we just witnessed him trying to manipulate her, like, multiple times before this. So, it, I think during this point we're kind of like, eh, you're not good enough for her, and also it is kind of creepy that you're doing this to a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> so, um, I think it's later on when you and I feel like the character development is good in this for that reason um, that later on when he actually is much more vulnerable and admits like my name is Eugene this is when I was in an orphan da 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 and actually reveals a bit of himself to her that it's like okay you're I, I'm sorry to warn out to you now but at this point no he, he he's been manipulative so well, especially because like i said she does the little flirty thing and i'm like that's adorable but then he's immediately like i'm not big on the backstory thing but he immediately starts trying to ask her about her stuff mm-hmm. and i'm like hmm, i don't know i'm glad it was interrupted by the soldiers <laughs> and then they have that big fight at the uh the dam like the really badly built dam mm-hmm. um, i guess here was- in my notes that uh you know people died in this reservoir <laughs> yeah he, oh my gosh yeah well i mean wait who i mean like the guards yeah yeah oh yeah you don't like, think that i'm certain that some of them died well i mean this i like i mean it's not like we go through disney movies and we don't get a body count but definitely not as high <laughs> as has mulan no one will ever beat mulan but M- mulan, oh, is, no. mulan is known to have like the highest body count out of every disney character you know some of those soldiers have I'm surprised as many people survived as they did. The Captain of the Guard survived. Maximus survived. The Stabbington brothers survived. Maximus can never die. Let's be honest here. Maximus is too determined to die. Well, I like that that Flynn is able to beat most of the soldiers, but then he has the hard time with Maximus. And I love that fight. I love that joke. He's like, this is the strangest thing I've ever done when he's sword fighting. He's, Horse has got a dagger in his mouth and he's using the frying pan to basically fence and he says that line during that. I don't know why. That line actually made me laugh this it's time. It's really good. Because <laughs> it's true. It's a weird situation. But yeah. in universe, based on everything that we've already seen, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. But to characters that live in the world, it's got to be super weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, again, nice showing off how Rapunzel knows how to use her hair. Indiana Jones it. Yep. She could give Shantae a run for her money. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
when are we gonna get the Shantae movie? No, never mind. Sorry, different different story. Uh, that's sure not gonna be produced by Disney. That's for sure. No, but it would be still be fun to see. Um, so I, I, I we I always ask about these these questions about the universe, but there's a dam here, and I guess that they I have a feeling that, and there's all these like mine tunnels that are partially collapsed. Was this like an area they intentionally dammed up so they could someone hypothetically could do mining there? Uh, before. I mean, I don't, I don't know why it's all there. It makes sense in con- with the context of the scene, but I, I always wonder about the backstory of area this. It's like... You, you gotta ask the question as to what did the tavern, the Snuggly Duckling, used to be then? If it has a pathway connecting straight into this reservoir, into these mining tunnels, did it used to be like some sort of way station or something like that before it was converted into a tavern? It's possible. I mean, this king it gives, definitely gives the impression this king has been here a while. And considering that dam is not in great shape, people haven't, and the, the mine tunnels are mostly collapsed or boarded over. Like, I think that says that this has been here for a very long time and no one's been taking care of it. Mm-hmm. So you got to wonder, you got to wonder, do you think the seven dwarves were here? <laughs> Thought. Uh, that would have been really early on, that's for sure. Well, um, it was a while story. ago. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they're caught in that tunnel, uh, about to die in a flood or, well, not flood, but like, yeah, the, the water's rising. And then Rapunzel, the, we get, that's where we get the vulnerability. Like, well, we're going to die. I might as well tell you my name's Eugene. And then she's like, and my hair glows when I sing. Wait. Oh, nice. MacGuffin hair. <laughs> Her hair is Which, quite the MacGuffin. <laughs> it can be. And although there is one aspect to her having magical hair that I do like is that Rapunzel knows full well what her hair can do. You'd think that as like a princess locked in a tower type of character, Gothel might have been wanting to like keep her in the dark as to like her true potential so she would never become more powerful than her, blah, 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 that kind of trope. But she knows. Mm -hmm. She's in full control of what it does. She knows the song. She could just take it and run off. And Gothel is just convinced that Rapunzel will never leave. So I kind of love the idea that she knows full well what she's capable of as far as like her magical ability outside of the thing at the end, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I like that too. And it makes sense. Cause I mean, this also shows mother Gothel's confidence in how like manipulative she is into convincing Rapunzel to stay. Like she is very confident. Like, Oh, I know how to make this girl stay as long as possible. Uh, but she does need her to sing in order to make her stay young. It's a very unhealthy relationship for both of them, if you mm-hmm. think about it. <laughs> does it have to be Rapunzel that sings? Because Gothel sang to the flower to make it do its thing. But because she's the embodiment of the flower magic now, does she have to be the one that sings? Isn't it more like a like a chant or a spell? Um, Because I feel like... It... Does she just have Rapunzel do it now? Because she's like, yeah, I'm too lazy to do it. Just I often wonder. Okay, here's a here's a logic question. If if for some reason the power is within Rapunzel and only she can use it, like like she, if she sings, the power becomes manifest. What did Mother Gothel do before Rapunzel could talk? Like, well, well, could she wait, chant wait, wait. over it? She did sing. She sang when she was like trying. To, remember, she sang that song when she was an infant and was going and was about to cut her hair. Oh, so it does work when she sings. I think she just again. I think it was a, like kind of a lazy thing. He's like, eh, I'll just have Rapunzel. But, sing then, it. but then by the end of the movie, they make it clear that like even if Mother Gothel was taking Rapunzel against her will, like Rapunzel had to be the one to sing. 
So did it like transfer over time? Was that it? Like, you got to wonder, because now it becomes important that Rapunzel be the one that does it. Well, it's not that the Rapunzel needs to sing. Her, she just needs to be alive with her hair. Yeah, she just has to be around with the hair. That's the important bit. I, okay, I think Alpha could sing the song whenever she wanted, honestly. Okay, and, I want to I want to put a pin I want to put a pin in that in that case. When we get to the end, I want to talk about that bit. But keep that in mind. Okay. My thoughts on that. So, uh glowing hair saves their lives. They have their like conversation at the campfire where we learn a little bit where where Flynn slash Eugene opens up about his his backstory as an orphan who invi- admired this uh fictional character who was the inspiration for his name. And we also get a little more, more about she. He, Rapunzel tells a little bit more about her her situation too. Not mm-hmm. that Flynn hadn't already guessed a bunch of it, but you know, um, Mother Gothel shows up, has a reprise, does a big number where she's like, she could easily have taken Rapunzel, just grabbed Rapunzel and gone back to the tower. But no, this is this is where I feel like Mother Gothel definitely the narcissism and vindictiveness of her as a character shines through. Like this is her being like, I could just take her and go, but. I'm going to make sure that Rapunzel comes back with me willingly. That's how much I like have her by a thread. Well, it's not just willingly. It's to make sure she will never escape again. Yeah. I'm going to, to, I'm going to make it so that everything I warned her about happens. Yeah. Because if she she just picks her up and takes her home, that's just guaranteeing that Rapunzel is going to break out again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point. Like, I was just like, why does it just, and then it hit me. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is absolutely the way a manipulative narcissist would handle this situation. Mm-hmm. And it works. Cause again, that's the problem. It works. Um, and she gives the, the crown, the stolen crown to Rapunzel, to Rapunzel and Rapunzel doesn't choose to give, show it to, to Flynn yet. Um, but then the next day on Rapunzel's birthday, uh, they go to the lake and the island and they have that cool bit where they go into the kingdom, go into the castle town, basically, and have a, a montage. It's my the- favorite part of the movie, honestly. Really? Oh, yeah? I love the dance montage. It gets me really hyped for what's coming. I think the music's good. Yeah. I like the visual. I have gone back throughout the years and listened and to this music on YouTube of my own while doing <laughs> things. This music is great. I'm with you. Like, I really liked this part. It really, there's a liveliness and an energy and a, and I like seeing the life in this kingdom kind of depicted in such a short amount of time, but it shows like how thriving it is, you know? You also mm-hmm. see the joy in her face too. Like she is legitimately having a great time. And I think I like the fact that you get to see the joy in Eugene's face as she's starting to realize like, like taking, basically being happy because someone he's starting to care about is also happy. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Plus it's fun to see them do things together. Cause the lovely thing about uh, Rapunzel and Eugene now is that since they both know what each other's deal is, she knows he's a thief. He knows she's got magic hair. They do things together that like hide from the guards and eat cupcakes in the shadows because he's a thief. I think that's really charming. I don't know why. <laughs> Is it, was it before this happens or after that they, that they, oh no, right. It was just before this, we meet Maximus. I forgot about that. Too. Oh yeah. It's important that we get back like the point where her and to a degree, Pascal get Maximus to like basically join them. Mm-hmm. And so we have also that bit while they're in the market with Maximus and, and Flynn kind of antagonizing each other in the background, <laughs> which is fun. Oh, also uh, another point I enjoy when they find all those little girls who help Rapunzel braid her hair. Nothing must weigh so much. I, 
Again, oh core strength and neck strength. She is a beast. Rapunzel can kill people with that hair. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got issues with the hair itself because I don't know if it's just me, but I believe that it's inconsistent with its length throughout the movie. And uh, yeah, it's magic hair, but sometimes it seems insanely long. Sometimes it seems way shorter than it actually should be. But I couldn't tell you for sure. It just might be an illusion. But seeing it all braided up and easily carried around and not shrinking or growing, it's very nice. Plus, she yeah. looks really cute in the braid. I know. That's a, it's actually a really cute look on her. Mm-hmm. With her with the flowers in her hair and everything. Like It's good. It's very good. I love the look. I love this. It, it, it's so uplifting. It's so happy. It's it's a good, good, good piece. This this section of the movie is excellent. Uh oh, actually, I say that the one scene is my favorite is the favorite part, but the lantern scene. Well, this is the oh I- this is the God. showstopper. This is the icon. The most this is like the iconic. No, but it's not just the song. This no, no, no. I'm scene... talking about the visuals too. Yeah, like no yeah, doubt, it's beautiful. They were building to this. And it doesn't disappoint. It is gorgeous. I remember, actually, that was one scene I remember seeing in theaters, and my jaw dropped. Because, like, when you're in the theaters and there's this big screen, and you, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm surrounded by lantern. Oh, my gosh, this is gorgeous. My, This is eye candy. And then with the song, At Last I See the Light, which is also a great song. That it's is a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't know if I like it all that much. It seems kind of weak, in my opinion. But that's me, like as a song where they're supposed to be like seeing each other, I guess, properly for the first time amidst all the lanterns. It's like you have all these gorgeous visuals and you have the two of them. And I feel like the song's weak in comparison to the visuals. You know, I can see that. Like this, uh, if it were, it's not a song, like I think it's a great song, but I don't think it's amazing to the point where it's like, oh, would I listen to this over like song from Beauty and the Beast or uh, Little Mermaid or whatever? Absolutely yeah, not. Exactly. Yeah. I was shocked when you said that that one was nominated for an, what, an Academy Award? Yeah, it was nominated for Academy Award. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is the scene, though. I think Honestly, here's the thing. The song's great, but I think it's enhanced by the scene itself. Because I've tried to listen to it on my own, and I can't. It's just... Yeah, it, the song has to be accompanied by the visuals for it to yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Um, because there's songs like that, like I, I mentioned this in The Princess and the Frog. I genuinely do like the song um, Dig a Little Deeper, but I can't really listen to it without the visuals. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. The visuals, though. I mean, if we were talking oh about that, gosh. I love, like, the lanterns start going, and I love how she basically scrambles and almost upsets the boat in the moment when she finally gets to see this, like, dream become her reality, her dream right. come true. The fire looks so realistic in the lanterns. <laughs> it's that was insane to me. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Can I also can I also say I love the moment just before that where we actually get a little a little check in with the king and queen. Oh, that seems great. And yeah. she like he's crying and she puts a hand on his cheek and is like, "Look, we got to do this. This is how we keep her memory alive." Basically, you know, like mm-hmm. got to hold out hope, and they do it. And I just it's it, there's no words again. No worth. They they don't even get a single line of dialogue in the whole movie. Rapunzel's parents, and that's fine. That that's a beautiful way to show grief. It's so simply done, and but in it's heartbreaking. I just it's like the tradition that they do every year, right? The lantern lighting. Yep. Yep. I don't know why I wrote this, but I put in my notes. Who cleans up the lanterns? <laughs> <laughs> that lake. 
<laughs> or that harbor or whatever you know is just like littered with paper lanterns after this is all over they have hired fishermen with like nets to just <laughs> scoop them all up it, this kingdom is pretty prosperous they probably have like a guild of lantern cleaners or something <laughs> it's like i wrote do they just become the responsibility of whoever just happens to be closest when they land this is a kingdom tradition if the wind is good, could it blow into a neighboring kingdom? Would this be considered an act of war? <laughs> 99 red blue. <laughs> um, and, and this one uh, is just sort of like me riffing off of that idea. It's like, But would they know about the Lost Princess tradition just be like, oh, they're just sad again? A smart kingdom would warn their neighbors. Hey, listen, we have this tradition in our kingdom. If a bunch of lanterns appear in the sky, it's not an act of war. It's a memorial service, essentially. They just sent letters to every single kid. Yeah, like anybody nearby that where the wind could potentially uh, send the lanterns. Like, I don't know. It's an interesting principle because like, these are these are very, very simple um, floating balloon lantern mm-hmm. things. So like, I don't know. We, we never actually see one hit the water the whole time, which is kind of surprising. This is it, boys. This yeah. is war. <laughs> Can I, why, I, why are my notes all like this? They all ask questions that don't need answers. But, but, but no, this, this is why we, I'm glad to have you on the show because I asked these exact same questions. Like, what's the deal with this reservoir mine? Who built it? Why is it there? Why is it connected to the Snuggly Duck? Snuggly Duckling. Like, <laughs> I want to know. I also want to, I also do, though, I do appreciate that the one lantern that um, drifts down to Rapunzel happens to be the one that her parents released. It's the same one because it's got the sun pattern on it. Yeah, because of course it would. Yeah, of course it would. I just, you know, that's 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 fun. Um, I also want to say I, as much as I hate the misunderstanding trope, this is one where it's handled in a way that it never bothers me. Because it's not really the two of them misunderstanding each other. It's someone orchestrating a misunderstanding. Yeah. And I like that they both realized what happened on their own terms instead of after having a fight with each other. Because that's what I hate in in so many movies. Here, it was orchestrated and they're kept separate. But while they're separate, Rapunzel realizes what happens and that she has been manipulated. And that's a point I want to talk about in itself. But um, once again, poor Flynn is knocked unconscious again. And I am seriously concerned for my poor boy. <laughs> Now that you brought it up, because I've never really considered it, but he does get knocked out a lot. A lot. He's injured a lot in this movie. I, I, I he hope comes away. I hope he comes away with no brain damage because that's bad. I don't know. You could say he comes away with trauma, considering the end of the film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, okay. That, yeah, I guess him getting a, a mild to serious concussion is not the worst thing that happens to him during this. I will say, is it? Okay, did anyone else think the way that she figured out she's the long lost princess is kind of weak? I don't like it. Yeah. It feels like an an eidetic memory kind of thing, you know? But, like, what? Like, she doesn't have eidetic memory before that. Like, she, like, oh, it just so happens she has drawn this symbol in her artwork? I, I could even buy that, right? I could buy it, that this is what happened. But she then correlates this symbol to meaning she must be the lost princess. I would have, I mean, I would, I would even give them a pass for the fact that she saw the mosaic of herself as a baby and kind of put that together too later. 
Of course, because a little child underneath directly says for the whole audience to hear that it's for the lost princess. Yeah. As I put in my notes, it's like, ugh, I roll emoji. (laughs) 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 Like you, I, 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 why did it take her so long to put two and two together? You know? I mean, honestly, that's Gothel's fault. She's the one who kept Rapunzel's birthday the same, I almost swore, the same day. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Gothel didn't really try to hide that fact from her. I do think that her coming to the realization on her own is good. I just wish it hadn't been based on the sun symbol hidden in all the stuff that she's drawn. That being the awakening. I think the weird part is... is Gothel could have said something accidentally or something that could have triggered it, but like, I don't know. Or maybe there was something that was left behind us, like, uh, when she was a baby, like, maybe, like, she's putting it away, but then finds, like, huh. a blanket that has that symbol or something. You know what would crack me up? When she was a kid. I don't know. You, you know what would crack me up? This would be the dumbest thing. Um, I was about to, I was about to make it be even dumber, but in my head, you know how she reached out and, like, caught that lantern and sent it back up? Mm-hmm. What if she had kept it? What if it, like, stayed in the boat? And she had, like, tucked, like, you know, it eventually, like, deflated and then, like, to remember the night she, like, took it with her or something? Mm-hmm. And then, like, later she's in the tower and she's lamenting. And normally in the, 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 the movie, she pulls out the, you know, that cloth with the kingdom's emblem on it, the sun. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, ties to the flower. Um, but she sees that and sees the thing on the wall. What if, bear with me for a second, this is literally just off the top of the dome, so it's not super well fleshed out. She still has that part of the lantern with her, just the, the wrapping of it, right? Mm-hmm. What if there was a letter that her parents just wrote on the inside? Just something they send out into the universe. Mm, I think it's a little too much. It's too coincidental. I don't know. If I was going to use the same kind of like device that they use for this, instead of the sun symbol, what I would have done, since a lot of this revolves around the crown, I would have her do the symbols of like maybe the jewels around the crown. So when her mom is looking down, wearing a similar crown, when she puts the crown on at the beginning of the movie, she has like a moment, like a spark or something. Mm -hmm. And then you find out that this is the thing she may have been painting because she had it. She held it in her hands. It isn't mm-hmm. some obtuse symbol. Yeah. And she wore it. She got to see how it felt. I mean, eh. mm-hmm. Like like there's something, like she rem- has vague memories of wearing it as a baby. Like well, She wouldn't have worn it as a baby. Didn't but... she have it as a baby? Though? She did. She They did have it around her head as a baby. Yeah. Oh, she did? My yeah. bad. <laughs> no, it, but, but it was like them trying to like, it didn't fit her, but it was like them like, oh, look, this is what you're going to wear when you're older sort of thing. But like, why would she have those memories as a baby? I I have no memories of when I was like infant. So you know, my first memory was from when I was like two. So I've mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I will admit I'm with you. It's a little silly, but OK, I do appreciate that it helped avoid the misunderstanding going on longer than it needed to. And it becomes very satisfying when Rapunzel tries to confront Mother Gothel mm-hmm. after all this time. And then, uh, meanwhile, Flynn is going to get executed, mm-hmm. going to get hanged. But then who should show up? But the animal slash barbarian friends. Yep. Maximus and uh, the gang from the Snuggly Duckling. Yep. And they... <laughs> He, he is like, it's like, he is like catapulted onto the horse and oh, oh, that's got to hurt. <laughs> I mean, I'm pre- forced to believe that Maximus organized this jailbreak. <laughs> Based on what we know, right? It's not like the, the snuggly duckling people came on their own. The horse had to go and collect them. 
and yeah. bring them there. So it's, he is it's a, funny. He is a darn smart horse. And I think it's hilarious that Maximus is the one who got them, who rallied them and brought Where's them there. Where's that the animation? Where's that scene where you could see Maximus just being overtly dominant and being like, come on, follow me, let's go. And then they're like, what, where are they? Oh, okay, I guess he's striking us. Or I guess we're going Maybe with him. glimpses of it during the animated series that Tangled had. Oh, I haven't seen that, so. Neither have I. Hmm. I appreciate how fast the horse goes. Sonic the Hedge horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> David made two Sonic the Hedgehog jokes while watching this movie. He's made that one, and then when uh, uh, Flynn is like gliding down the uh, oh through the like the water, he's, he's like grinding with his boots on the water, and he like he's just like they're like oh he pulled a city escape like, rail grind <laughs> Sonic dork. the Hedgehog rail grind. Uh, <laughs> you dork! I know. I guess I should have said it's more like Tarzan. Flynn goes back to the. To the tower to go to go get Rapunzel. Mother Gothel shanks him. Oh, that was straight yeah. up. That's she murks him, bodies him immediately. Sticks Not one right thought. between right between the ribs. Like no, like just bam. <laughs> no, if sands her butts. I'm sad. It's 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 kind of satisfying just to see her just go full full evil. You know, it's now cold. she's the bad guy. She, she should really? be. I mean, she even says like, "You want me to be the bad guy." I'm the bad guy. Duh. Dur, 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 dur. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, gives that ultimatum, right? Yep. It's it's awful. She's awful. Oh, no, she is terrible. I will say, uh, by the way, this is also a part that's kind of weak, too, where Rapunzel says, "I well, okay, I will come with you. Just let me heal him, and I'll do whatever you want. Okay, totally believe that. It's the whole, no, don't heal me. I'm like, what are you, What? Why? Why? Let her her heal you and then you can cut her hair. There's no reason for you to not wait. (laughs) Like, that's dumb. This is where I want to pull the pin out. Okay. Because again, Mother Gothel makes it seem like I'll I'll make, I'll go ahead and make this deal with you so you go along willingly. But we've established that at this point, things between them have broken down to the point where she's, it's going to be a lot harder to manipulate her. So she could just as easily be like, okay, I'll just chain you up somewhere and then sing over your hair to get my stuff back. Well, she has to brush it too. Like she has to, she actually has to touch her hair. I'm still convinced that Rapunzel singing has something to do with it. Like she has to be doing it willingly. Like yeah, I'm convinced changed. that it is a, it's a chant of some kind, like a ritual almost. I don't believe she has to be brushing it. It's just something she can activate through sound or whatever. Cause I guess you could always use the thing like talking to plants is a real thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but why I, wouldn't it work with her hair? Well, maybe, but like, again, my my thought in this process is like, would she put in this much effort if she could just do it herself at this point? I don't think Mother Gothel can conjure it on her own at this point. Like, she needs Rapunzel to do it. She needs Rapunzel to sing it. And So after a certain point... In time, that's what she- I think. Like, I think as Rapunzel's gotten older, the magic... Like, Mother Gothel was able to, you know, do it more. But then, like, as Rapunzel got older, the her... Or maybe maturing. It may be more powerful when she sings it because she is the she herself is the, the host. Yeah, yeah. It could be like you know, like when you hit anything long enough, take anything long enough, its potency gets less effective. So Mother Gothel could probably do it to herself for a while, but she like anything, she's dependent on Rapunzel. She needs to keep coming back to use the hair as magic. So like it could be that her doing it on her own just doesn't do it anymore. 
doesn't keep her young long enough. I'm just a hypothesis at this point, because otherwise mm. this deal wouldn't have as much weight in my opinion, you know? But the fact yeah. that Mother Gothel's willing to go along with it just to make her compliant. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, because at this point there's no nothing to hide anymore. Rapunzel knows the truth. No point in like being all manipulative and misdirect, just be upfront about what you really want, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So the Mother if- Act's gone. So mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could see why the deal was put into effect, but I agree with you about Flynn a little bit. Mm-hmm. He should have just waited. But and then done. again, I think I think that was that point where he's like, if if I lose her at this point, I might never find her again, and then she's gonna be trapped in this life of servitude for the rest of her days. Yeah, but like he, she could have healed him, and during after he was done being healed, then oh, then cut, cut the hair. Yeah. Why? Like this could good, been good point. Why did he not just wait? Like, there, it's not that difficult to. It's like after she's done, then it's like, whoa! <laughs> I mean, movie, movie logic. Gotta have that dramatic moment. And then her, where she uses her magical Pokemon tears to save his life. <laughs> That's what you kept referring to. Like, oh no, we have to save Ash. Pikachu, cry for Ash. This opened so many questions for me, because of course (laughs) it did. I was thinking, is it all of her fluids that have healing potential now? I don't want to think about it. Like if she spits on him, does it? It it would have the same effect, right? And And like, it would have to be things that are within her body. Like, I don't think anyone could drink her magic pee or whatever. It wouldn't work that way. Um, I like but the idea they, that she'd sing the song and they'd go like, <laughs> but like the idea that someone could hunt her down for her blood, which would be magic. Oh, I got the impression though that somehow those tears were the last bit of her magic. Why? I don't know. It just felt like a the moment felt very uh, whoom, like it was the the big culmination of something. I don't know. I haven't seen but, the TV series, but I'm assuming that's not. She's probably still got magic magic in her blood. I don't know. That was just my assumption. Like probably her, spit, her tears, her blood, her gastric juices. Like <laughs> it, they could all possibly be sun and heat. <laughs> she throws up on him. <laughs> <laughs> He's healed. This is getting this this is getting weird. <laughs> I mean, they opened the door by making her tears magic. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, hey, I want to give a special shout out to Mother Gothel's death here because oh, uh, yes, this is one. Okay. I, to, I would make the argument that this totally applies to the plummet counter. Although, is it really the fall that kills her? I mean, No, she dies on the way down. She's she dust before she hits the ground. But the fall is still a dramatic falling death. Yes, it is. When she hits the ground, she she collapses. She's it, dust. It turns her into dust completely. But she was probably she probably dead before. This, so does that count as a plummet? Well, I mean, we've always said that like uh, that it's. I mean, if we can count the one from uh, Treasure Planet, we can count this one. Well, Treasure Planet involves them eventually dying due to their fall. And then this one, I mean, she would have died of old age anyway. Mm-hmm. This just completely destroys her body so she can never be returned back to life, I guess. Well, like, even if she hadn't fallen, she could have just collapsed into dust anyway. But I think the fall is what ultimately breaks her apart. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll check this one up on the plummet counter. Ah! 
That is also a point towards David's hypothesis, though, that maybe this was the last hurrah of her magic, because as soon as the hair was cut, Gothel aged immediately. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I feel like her being around her hair, though, that, and that's a, that's a theory of mine, that being around her hair, she stays young, uh, but she has to, she can't be around her all the time. So if you notice as she leaves, she just starts to age slower. She starts to age more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like the hair was basically a lifeline, almost like a drug, if you think about mm-hmm. it. Once the drug is gone, then... Mm-hmm. Couldn't get her fixed, and she went through withdrawal very, very quickly. Mm, it's weird the door is open for all sorts of questions as to how it works i'm sure that i could look it up and someone speculated or found some note somewhere (laughs) well either way gothel is toast or i'm sorry she's dust you know uh flynn is saved um they have their kiss and uh then she gets reunited with her real parents and you know they're going to have a lot of catching. They're going to have to have a lot of catching up to do. She hasn't really known these people, but they're happy to see her. My notes say, how did they get up here? <laughs> Flynn is a wanted criminal, and Rapunzel has been living in a tower, has no identification. She and just the- sort of, she has the horse. I guess that's it. Yep. Maximus basically, it's like, no, the horse said it was okay. The horse, was- <laughs> the horse goes out to the captain of the guard and... He's like, I'm going to arrest it. And then Maximus does like horse charades and explains everything to the captain of the guard. And you, and you, you, you trust these people? <laughs> Let them in! <laughs> Gr- group hug. And then she's a great queen, I guess, or well, princess or whatever. Well, group hug. Yeah, and then they go from there, basically. I like that Flame got pulled into the group hug. Well, of course he did. He almost died for her. <laughs> it's true. Technically, he died for like 60 seconds or whatever. You could think of it in this particular way. It's like, I'm sure Flynn didn't know about the princess thing when he went to go back for her. Is that the case? But if you wanted to be like cynical, you could say that Flynn was doing this for the long con. (laughs) Bringing the princess there so he could get that pardon for stealing the crown in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's possible, but did he know? I don't think so. No, he didn't. I'm just being... (laughs) Just being a jerk. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, can we assume that in that since the narrative kind of goes back to Flynn explaining things, maybe unreliable narrator? We definitely know this because you know after years of asking and asking and asking, I finally said yes. And she's and then she butts in like Flynn. He's he is kind of a jerk still. But <laughs> the sad part is, I would have believed it. Yeah, same. I mean, it could still be that way. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I my hope is that honestly they had that moment, things are good, and then they actually courted like proper people to see if right. it really was gonna work in the long run. That's why I was saying like at the beginning, my feelings about being weirded out by the beginning of their relationship dynamic, it didn't matter in the end because according to the movie, it seems that they had just like you said, proper courting afterwards, maybe had a longer relationship, she got to meet more people. Uh mm. Maybe they maybe they both dated other people for a bit just to see if it would work, but ultimately they just came back to each other. I mean, who knows? <laughs> you know what? I think I figure out. When he's Flynn Rider, it's creepy. As soon as he admits he's Eugene and we see him as Eugene, that's when it's like, oh, you know what? It's not so bad. I appreciate the fact that through the rest of the movie, um, Rapunzel continues to call him Eugene. Mm-hmm. It's good. 
It's good. I like this. And I like that the last thing we see before we get to the, the cute animated, semi-animated end credits is uh, the Cupid, uh, the Cupid thug guy Doing waggling his eyebrows. At the audience and kisses. <laughs> <laughs> Very on point. You got me thinking, since we're th- speaking about names, was Rapunzel's name the one her parents gave her or the name Gothel gave her? Good question. Because would she want to keep being called Rapunzel after getting back with her parents? Would it be too late? I think? mean, I think there's a certain point where, like, if you're called... Well, do we do we know if in Flynn's narration, if they said they called her Rapunzel? I don't remember. I thought I thought I thought they did. I don't know. That's it, just sloppy Gothel if it is the case. Well, I mean, she said, oh, yeah, that's your birthday. This is your birthday. Gothel made two big mistakes. (laughs) Kept her name and her birthday. Gothel was too lazy to come with something else. All she cared about was that hair, bro. Yeah. And it could be like the princess didn't receive a a first name yet. Because they kept calling her the long lost princess or they never said, oh, her name is this. Maybe she wasn't named yet. And then she like Rapunzel was kidnapped before she even got a name. I knew some traditions that you name a kid like at a big like well-to-do thing. And you aren't named like the minute you pop out. So eh, it depends. <laughs> could be, it could, yeah, it could be the tradition. Maybe they were waiting for some sort of like royal christening or something where they would give her her name. And that was why the tiara was uh, fashion. Oh. For her little baby head. That would make sense. Like when we get the, like maybe it was the day before they were going to do that. And that's when Gothel's like, I'm gonna steal your baby. Bye. <laughs> Well, I know, like, isn't that like a, a Catholic thing where, like, oh, you get Christian, when you get um, baptized, you also get a, sometimes you get a name or a Christian name with it, or? I I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. But, like, yeah, I, I know, like, in medieval times that that was something like a Christianing. It's not exactly. Or not medieval times, but, like. Well, I mean, this is, like, I don't even know if this is necessarily medieval. I'd say maybe more, like, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of ambiguous. So I'm thinking, yeah, she received the name. If that's the case, like, they never named her. Because they would have, I would assume they would have said the, this child's name over and over. It's like, this is for Princess Rapunzel. They just kept saying the long-lost princess, not with no name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming Mother Gothel named her Rapunzel. And at that point, it's like, well, that's what I've been called for 18 years. Like, I mean, it it could also work, considering how... What you're saying that Rapunzel is a loose translation for like lettuce or something? Mm-hmm. Just named her after the first thing she saw. She got home. <laughs> <laughs> that her like, mother, mother Gothel, with her sixth sense, and he's like, "I'm gonna call her Rapunzel because I'm gonna keep eating leaves off of this thing like it's lettuce." What the? <laughs> I don't know. She's a plant. You're gonna have me looking this up. I'm about to look up the definition of Rapunzel now. <laughs> I, I think it means lettuce, or it's it's a rampion or lamb's lettuce. So it, it, it's a German for edible uh, leaves. Straight up. I'm just going to keep feeding off you. Yep. You're my head of lettuce and I'm going to keep growing in my garden. That is this tower. Eh, head of lettuce. Head, lettuce. Ah! Anyhow, that's uh, that's Tangle. <laughs> we did it, fam. It's better than I remembered it. It is better than I remember it. I think it holds up really well. And I think... It um, does. I think it's it's really funny. It's really sweet. It's the animation is beautiful. Look, and I almost wonder what this would have looked like if it had been traditionally animated. You know, I mean that hair would have been. <laughs> oh my god! It would have been a lot. Can you imagine having to two D animate all that hair? 
No kidding. Oh my goodness. It would be very expressive though. I do believe that. Oh, no doubt. Can you imagine what some of the uh, stra- squash and stretch animation would have looked like in this? Would have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video I stumbled across recently <laughs> where the videos, it's called, Honey, you mean, huh? <laughs> it's it's the one muse, right? When she goes, Huncules. But it's just that they, they take the frame <laughs> and, like, uh, and they sprint, and it's right in a squash and stretch moment where she has like three arms and one eyeball, but two pupils in it. And it's like, and they just take the, uh, and stretch it out forever. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry. I just didn't bring it up. I, yeah, this movie is much better than I remembered it being. Um, uh, for the most part, it's favorable. There's a couple of parts that I'm a little meh about. We feel that way about most of the things we've watched, though. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean... I will gush over this movie. I like it. I like it a lot. I will also gush over this movie. And considering that the last two movies you have me guest on, um, this is probably one I like the most. I can agree to that. I mean, it's like, I love Oliver and Company. This is a better movie than Oliver and Company. It's definitely a better movie than Song of the South. That's for sure. Because <laughs> that movie is so boring. Oh, so boring. It's very boring. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thank you again for having me. I, I did not know that we could talk for two hours about Tangle, yet here we are. Here we are. <laughs> uh, hey, if people friendly this is i know this is the third time we've done this but if you want people to see anything you've done see the stuff you do uh where can they find you safest place would be on instagram and you can find me there instagram.com slash the captain's art and i'm sure you'll put it in your description or something it'll be in the show notes It'll (laughs) it'll absolutely be in the show notes i promise uh so uh, for next month, interestingly enough, I, I thought like, oh, it's gonna be te- it's gonna be pro- frozen uh, next, right? Wrong. Uh, actually, we're going back to 2D animation. We are. We are. You are. Uh, the next one is uh, Winnie the Pooh. The new Winnie the Pooh. Yes, the one. Uh, yeah, the the one from like ten years ago. That came out in theaters. Oh, in 20... Oh, yeah. I never saw that. I never did either. I, I, I didn't know this existed. Yeah. Uh, they released a, um, a theatrical version of Winnie the Pooh, but made a... It was, it's a new one. Um, I've never seen it before, but I. it's going to be nice to see 2D animation again. Time to hop on that Disney Plus and check it out. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll see you then. But in the meantime... <sighs> I hate to tell you this, but they've got us on Lantern Cleanup Duty this year. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got this boat. Can you, you all want to get your nets and we can row out into the, the harbor and start picking up all these lanterns? <laughs> I'll go get my harpoon. <laughs> To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Nothing new is something new. That great poets imitate and improve. Where our small ones steal and spoil. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Justin. And if it wasn't readily apparent at that, 
We're huge nerds about remakes. That's why we're doing the Nothing New Podcast. Once a month, we'll sit down and talk about a remake in detail and its original, covering them in whatever order they come out, from Wizard Oz to It and beyond. They're remaking Stuart Gordon's 1986 sci-fi horror classic from beyond? Oh, no. Not yet. Oh, that's going to be a long time coming. Anyway, if that sounds up your alley, come join Justin and I, and maybe a guest or two, to explore the wonderful world of remix, film by film. Remakes have been done forever. People talk about Scarface don't even know that was a remake. Oh, nicely said. Don't thank me. Thank Antoine Fuqua. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.